Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, unwanted pets and relatives, it's Mr. Palumbo and welcome to the Professor Liberty Podcast. Today is On This Day in History. And so we're going to look at something that happened today in history. Now we could do uh, a mailbag episode, but uh, you know, the uh, the correspondence has been rather light. I'm not complaining. You know, here at Professor Liberty, we are on a uh, a wing and a prayer, a shoestring budget. Uh, but hey, if you guys have some ideas, some thoughts, some uh, questions, some concerns, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can message me on the Facebook page. The email is ProfessorLiberty1776 at gmail.com. I really appreciate all of, all, all of you out there that uh, follow this show, and uh, I ask that you humbly... Uh, I humbly ask, rather, that you share this podcast with people who you think would benefit. You know, I know you probably have an uncle or a grandfather that loves history, or you probably have an annoying member of the family that is uh, persistent in his or her discussions on politics, Uh, or you have that annoying uh, holier-than-thou member of your family that wants to talk religion. Well, heck, we do all of that here. We are not ashamed of talking politics, religion, history, economics. We do it all. Unfortunately, all of that stuff is political. Uh, It never used to be so political, but everything's political. Basically, everything that you disagree, if you disagree with anything on the left, then it becomes political. If you agree with people on the left, then it's just common sense. Right? Okay, anyway, enough with the housekeeping stuff. Welcome, folks, to today's podcast entitled, This Day in History, The End of the Berlin Blockade. On this day, May 12th, in 1949, the Soviets ended what became known as the Berlin Blockade. A blockade is an act of sealing off a place so that people or goods cannot enter. Why did the Soviet Union cut off her Western allies from Berlin, Germany's capital city? I mean, you know, during World War II, the the European Union, the European Union, the Soviet Union, it's a long day, folks, long day of work, so the mind is wandering. The Soviet Union and the capitalist West are ideologically at odds with each other, okay? So once the common foe of the Allied powers, namely Nazi Germany, once Germany, once Germany was defeated, the shaky alliance of the communists and the dem, uh, the democratic capitalists soon started breaking down. Reading from Harry S. Truman Presidential Library's website, it says, Following World War II, a defeated Germany was divided into four sections, each of which was occupied by one of the Allied powers. The Soviet Union took over the eastern part of Germany, while France, Great Britain, and the United States took over western parts. The German capital of Berlin was also divided into four sections. Although they had been allies during the war, the United States and the Soviet Union clashed philosophically on many issues. The superpowers disagreed about how to rebuild Germany, and tensions quickly arose, resulting in what later would be known as the Cold War. Fearing that the Soviets would try to extend their communist philosophy to other countries, the United States adopted the policy of containment, 
which involved rebuilding war-torn Europe and promoting democracies to halt the spread of communism. In March 1984, Britain, France, and the United States decided to combine their sections of Berlin into one united West Berlin, angering the Soviets further. In June 1948, the Soviet Union, whose territory fully surrounded the capital, cut off all ground traffic into and out of West Berlin in an attempt to force the Allies to abandon the city. The blockade of Berlin had begun. You see, folks, Stalin, the leader of the USSR, was an avowed communist, and he had no intention of sharing control of Germany or allowing Germany to return to a capitalist, democratic way of life. Communism is all about expansion and world domination. Really, you can read about it in the Communist Manifesto. They do not hide this fact. And Stalin's ultimate goal was a united communist Germany under Russian influence. By the way, did you know that the USSR stands for United Soviet Socialist Republics? Oh, but uh, 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 Mr. Plumbo, I can't, uh, I can't let you get away with it. Socialism, Mr. Plumbo, democratic socialism uh, that Bernie, that fill the burn, Mr. Plumbo, that, that's different than communism. Well, I'm just telling you, the USSR was a communist country, and their official name was the United Soviet Socialist Republics. Socialism and communism are the same thing. And really, we're just talking a matter of degrees here. The ultimate goal of socialism is communism. That's Vladimir Lenin. Anyways, back to the story before my soapbox gets way too large. So the blockade put President Harry Truman in a difficult spot. What was he to do? Does he abandon Berlin? Does he go to war with Russia? Well, again, reading from President Truman's presidential website, it states, President Truman suddenly faced a crisis. The citizens of West Berlin were quickly running out of food, supplies, and time. Truman's advisors suggested several options. They could evacuate the city. They could try to negotiate with the Soviet Union with the support of newly, with the newly formed United Nations figure out a way to get supplies into the city, or simply abandon Berlin altogether. Their decision would determine exactly how involved the United States would be in Berlin and in the rebuilding post-war Europe. So ultimately, Truman decided that it was of the utmost importance that the United States remain in Berlin. He and the remaining allies began the Berlin Airlift an operation that carried food, fuel, and other supplies into western Berlin by plane. The effort required a lot of careful planning and many resources, but the airlift allowed the United States to keep a foothold in post-war Germany. The Berlin Airlift's official military name was Operation Vitals, but the Berliners themselves called it the Air Bridge. History.com writes, the Berlin airlift was supposed to be a short-term measure, but it settled in for the long haul as the Soviets refused to lift the blockade. For more than a year, hundreds of American, British, and French cargo planes ferried provisions from Western Europe to the respective uh, European sectors, right? So the British sector, the French sector, and the American sector. 
At the beginning of the operation, planes delivered about 5,000 tons of supplies into West Berlin every day. By the end, those loads had increased to about 8,000 tons of supplies per day. The Allies carried about 2.3 million tons of cargo in all over the course of the airlift. Life in Berlin during the blockade was not easy. Fuel, electricity were rationed. The black market was the only place to obtain many goods. Still, most Western Berliners, Berliners, Berliners supported the airlift and their Western allies. It's cold in Berlin, one airlift era saying went, but colder in Siberia. By spring of 1949, it was clear that the Soviet blockade of West Berlin had failed. It had not persuaded West Berliners to reject their allies in the West, nor had it prevented the creation of a unified West German state. The Federal Republic of Germany was established in May 1949, and on May 12th, today, 1949, the Soviets lifted the blockade and reopened the roads, canals, and airways into the western half of the city. The Allies continued the airlift until September, however, because they wanted to stockpile supplies just in case the blockade was reinstated. You know, most historians agree that the blockade was a failure in many ways. It amped up Cold War tensions. It made the USSR look to the rest of the world like it was a cruel enemy. It hastened the creation of West Germany. And by demonstrating that the U.S. and other Western European nations had a common interest or a common foe, it motivated the creation of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, an alliance that still exists today. You know, as we said earlier, the Berlin blockade and the subsequent airlift marked the official starting point of what would be known as the Cold War. The Cold War was an ideological conflict between the Soviet communist superpower in, of the East and the United States capitalist democracy of the West. This conflict would rage for another 40 years with the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989 as its official end. And, you know, even after deciding to drop two atomic bombs on Japan to end World War II, it was again President Truman who was called upon to make a crucial decision regarding how the United States would respond to this new Soviet aggression. And I'd like to share some major points regarding that. First, let's talk about the Truman Doctrine. President Truman advocated for the financial support of countries such as Greece and Turkey in the late 1940s in order that they might not fall to communism. You know, communism sounds good when you're poor because it advocates taking someone else's wealth and giving it to you. Even though this military and financial support started with Greece and Turkey, it would soon evolve into any country struggling to resist communism. The Office of the Historian writes, With the Truman Doctrine, President Harry S. Truman established that it was the United States who would provide political, military, and economic assistance to all democratic nations under the threat of external or internal authoritarian forces. Truman also argued that the United States was compelled to assist free peoples in their struggle against totalitarian regimes because the spread of authoritarianism would undermine the foundations of 
international peace, and hence the security of the United States. In the words of the Truman Doctrine, it became policy to, quote, the policy of the United States to support free peoples who are resisting attempted subjugation by armed minorities or by outside pressures, unquote. Now, what we have to understand is this is a clear departure for the United States regarding foreign policy. If we remember from our history class, the U.S. up to this point has always embraced a sense of non-interventionalism, a policy of not getting too involved with other countries' conflicts and disputes. Now, we might agree with Truman here in this case that the spread of communism is an existential threat to all free societies and therefore the United States, and we just had a rise in authoritarian regimes in Japan, Germany, Italy, Russia, and we just saw what the result was, a world war, millions dead. So you can't, we cannot blame Truman for wanting to take a more proactive role. But we also can't ignore that it is at this moment where the United States also becomes the world's police so that, in my opinion, that is a clearly negative component here. Why is the United States involved with all these different international affairs across the world? Well, it started here in 1949. The next comment I'd like to make is I want to mention this policy of containment. We mentioned it a little bit earlier. The policy of containment was first laid out in 1947 by a guy named George Kennan. George Kennan was a diplomat and a historian whose thoughts and ideas helped inspire the Truman Doctrine. Kennan argued that the United States and other Western powers must, quote, contain, unquote, the spread of communism through economic, diplomatic, and even military means. And it was his policy that would evolve into more aggressive measures, for example, the United States... Uh, supporting regimes that were maybe not so democratic, but they were anti-communist. So, you know, the policy might have gone astray in that matter. Uh, but this policy of containment is going to be the foundation that would remain policy for the United States for the extent of the Cold War. Now, many scholars argue, did containment work? Well, I think you could point to Korea. If you look at South Korea, it's one of the most prosperous countries in that part of Asia, and if you look at North Korea, it is one of the most impoverished nations in that area. So I think Korea was a success. Um, Vietnam clearly was not a success. Maybe we ran out of our will to fight that war. Um, maybe people started believing in the old sentiment of non-interventionalism. And, you know, the United States was clearly not innocent. We were kind of seen as uh, supporting the colonialists, the French, at the beginning of Vietnam. So Vietnam was tricky. Maybe not a, not a win there for containment. We could talk about Cuba. We could talk about uh, South America. Uh, you know, containment's got a mixed past and a mixed history. On May 12, 1949, the Soviets abandoned the blockade and the first British and American convoys drove through the 110 miles of Soviet Germany to reach West Berlin. On May 23rd, the Federal Republic of Germany, otherwise known as West Germany, was formally established. A total of 101 fatalities were recorded as a result of the Berlin airlift. 
The cost of the airlift was shared between the U.S., the U.K., and Germany. Estimated costs range from approximately $224 million to over $500 million U.S. dollars, equivalent to approximately $2.4 billion to $5.3 billion now. Well, there you have it, folks. May 12th, 1949. The Berlin Airlift is no more. Honorable mentions, other things that happened on May 12th. In 1789, William Wilberforce makes his first major speech on abolition in the House of Commons, reasoning that the slave trade is morally reprehensible. In 1865, the last action of the American Civil War at Palmito Ranch, Texas, occurred. Getting a little closer to our current in the in this day in history, in 1928, Benito Mussolini, dictator of Italy, announced a move to end women's suffrage in a speech to the Senate in Rome. Boy, you gotta love those dictators, folks. And finally, in 1937, the coronation of King George VI of Great Britain happened at Westminster Abbey in London. Well, I hope you found the show edifying, educational, exciting, extraordinary. What's another E word? Um, um, Egregious? No, maybe that's not a good word. Uh, Anyway, I hope you found it worth your while. Thank you so much for listening, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please give me a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to email the show, it's ProfessorLiberty1776 at gmail.com. If you're interested in looking at some of my lessons and activities, please go to TeachersPayTeachers.com and look up Professor Liberty. Until next time, boys and girls, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty. Liberty.